0: On the outskirts of a, a little town, there was a cemetery. And uh, by in the cemetery, by the fence, there was a huge pecan tree. And if you've ever lived around pecan trees, at a certain time of the year, they fall, and they're all over the place. Well, there were two boys went that day to fill up a bucket in the cemetery, and they sat down on the ground, out of sight behind a little wall, dividing the nuts. Said, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. Well, the bucket was so full that several rolled out and went over towards the fence. Well, cycling down the road on his bicycle right by the cemetery was the third boy. And as he passed by, he heard voices inside the cemetery. So he slowed down to investigate. Sure enough, he heard, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. Well, he knew what it was. It's Satan and God dividing the souls of the cemetery. So he cycled down the road as fast as he could and found an old man who was hobbling along on a cane. And he said, come here quick. You won't believe what I heard. Satan and God are out of the cemetery dividing souls. And the old man said, go away. Can't you see, you little brat? Here I am finding it hard to walk as it is. But after several pleas, the man says, okay, I'll go. And he hobbled to the cemetery, standing by the fence. They heard again, one for you. One for me. One for you. One for the old man whispered, boy, you can tell me the truth. Let's enough to see the Lord himself. And so fearful, they peered through the fence. They weren't able to see anything. The old man and the boy, they gripped the right arm bars. The fence tighter and tighter as they tried to get that glimpse of God, just pushing their face up on there. And at last they heard, one for you, one for me, and one last one for you. That's all. Now let's go get those nuts by the fence, and we'll be done. They said that old got made it back to town in five minutes for the boy on his bike. <laughs> Cemeteries are often scary places to people. Our imaginations tend to get the best of us at the cemetery. Uh, <laughs> There's probably only one other place that's as creepy at night in a cemetery. For some reason, that's the church. But, you know, when you're in the building and the wind blows and the doors rattle and, you know, you don't know what's going on with the cemetery, it holds that stigma. I can remember times in my life when I was at the cemetery at night and it's just got this creepy aura to it. And so our sermon this morning takes place in the most unlikely of places. We are with Jesus and the disciples Uh, They've just come across the sea. He has just silenced the storm and calmed the storm. And we find our text this morning in Mark chapter five, starting in verse one there. And it says, "Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains." Because he often had bound, been bound with shackles and chains, but it snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue it. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked. My name is Legion," he answered, because we are many. And he kept begging him not to send them out of the region. Now a large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send this to the pigs so that he enter them. And he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him, but he would not let him. Instead, he told him, go back home to your own people. And report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time. Father, use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel That the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say. And imagine the scene. The Gerasenes is a Gentile region. They are no longer really in Israel proper. He is not around the people. And they are in a place that they do not want to be. They were in a cemetery with a herd of pigs nearby. Cemeteries, Gentiles, pigs. All of which are unclean. That's where the story takes place. In the uncleanest place you can ever imagine according to Jewish law, the disciples find themselves along with Jesus. They've just been through a scary experience. They've just been there, you know, laying there. He's, he's, he's kind of, you know, just out there. He calms the storm. He's asleep. The storm comes up. They're afraid. They're terrified. Jesus is sleeping. They think they're going to die. Jesus wakes up and says peace be still, calms all the storm, inside their heart, outside the boat, everywhere he's calm the storm. But they're scared, they've, they've, they're rattled. You ever been through one of those experiences where something scary happened and you're just rattled and you're kind of vibrating because you, know, you thought you were going to die. You thought that was going to happen. And here they are, and as they step on shore, they hear a scream. A guttural scream. A scream like nothing they had ever heard before as this man who is wild hair, wild eyes, bloody, naked, comes running at them and throws himself at Jesus' feet. I'm sure at that point the disciples had one foot in the boat. I'm going to go back out there because even though I thought I was going to die, it's probably safer than where we're going here. You know, there they are looking for, the one they were looking at here, for all intents and purposes, was dead. He was dead. He was without faith. He was without a future. He was without his faculties. He was without family. Everyone had given up on him. He didn't get this way overnight. He didn't just all of a sudden wake up one day and and things were different. When you read the text, they had tried. The people had tried to take care of Him because it said what? They used to bind Him. They used to watch Him. They couldn't restrain Him with chains anymore. Anymore means they tried. They used to do that. But He had broken His chains. He had torn apart the shackles. He was cutting Himself. This obviously was a slow march into madness. He was truly forgotten. So why in the world is this weird story to us in the 21st century here, why is it here? In all three of the Synoptic Gospels. It's there. Why? Why it's so important? What can we learn? Well, the first thing is that evil and spiritual warfare are real. We tend to brush that aside in our current culture. We don't like to talk about the fact that there is evil and there a spiritual realm. There are things that go on that, in realms that we don't see and that's what we are battling against. And when someone comes against us, it's not that person coming against us. It is the spiritual warfare from that other realm that is using that person to get under our skin and push our buttons. And one of the main things that. Rather than blaming what's going on in the other realm. Because you know, 9 out of 10 Americans believe in God. But only 43% believe in the devil. That boggles my mind. If I believe in God and I believe His Word, His Word tells me the devil is real. How can I believe in God yet I don't believe in the devil that He tells me is real? But in this passage, the curtain is pulled back. And we see a rare glimpse into a spiritual reality that we don't see often. In Jewish literature, there's lots of spiritual warfare. If you read extra Jewish literature, there are lots of glimpses into what's going on. Not so much in the Bible. But that doesn't make it any less real. I find it interesting here, and I've always found it interesting in this Mark and Sandwich, that he Calms the wind. He he does all of this stuff, and the disciples ask the question, "Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him?" And then he steps on the shore, and this dude who was possessed by many many demons comes running at him, and the demons say, "Jesus, Son of the Most High God!" Woo! They knew who he was. The demons recognized him. It's amazing that the disciples who had been living with Him didn't know. But these these demons did. And depending on the Gospel, they asked it differently. Are you going to torture us before it's time? They had this knowledge of God, but they don't know God. They know who He is. They know that, that something's coming. But there's a deeper issue here for us today. Something that we all need to deal with. And that's that sin in us recognizes a holy God. The sin in us recognizes a holy God. And we rebel against it most of the time. If you ever notice the people who want to tell you they don't believe in God, the reasons they tell you they don't believe in God, all have to do with their lack of freedom to be able to do whatever they want to do. Because their sin has recognized that if God exists, he is a holy God and something has to change. The sin within us recognizes the holy God. Sometimes the sin within us recognizes the holy God better than the good parts of us. Because when our sin meets the holy God, we recognize our need for judgment. We begin to fear what God will do. We become like those demons who run up and say, "Jesus, Son of the Most High God, please, please, don't torture us before it's time. Before it's time." And I don't want to preach all day long today, but over in the Book of Revelation. We talk about the lake of fire, which we call hell, colloquially, right? But what does it say about that? Which was prepared beforehand for the devil and his angels. They know what's coming. Hell isn't for people. We end up there because we reject God. But hell was created for the devil and his angels. They know something's coming. They fear God. And we fear God. But we come to the point where our sin is there. The sin recognizes our need for punishment. We know what we deserve. Or at least we fear what we think we deserve. The most dangerous place we can live is thinking that we're okay. That we don't need Jesus. I'm good. I, I do all the good, right things. That's the most dangerous place to be. When you think you're good. Demons recognize Him and immediately they ask for mercy. Immediately they begin to do what we did. Right? They begin to bargain. They're a bargain with God. Jesus, don't torture us. Don't send us away. Let us go into those pigs. Let us go over there and begin to bargain. And so he says, Go, and the kid, then the pigs go crazy and throw themselves off the cliff. And those who tend the pigs run the town to tell what's happened. There are lots of things in this story that are scary. There are lots of things in this story that that if we ran into them in, in our in our life today, we would probably be scared. If they actually made a movie dedicated to simply this, this part of Jesus' ministry, this one man. If there was a movie about it, it would be a scary movie. It would be one that we kind of go, what? The disciples have just finished their store. That was scary. There's a crazy man in an unclean place. That was scary. It's a man who had broken his chains and broken the shackles. That's scary. He's naked. That's kind of scary. He's got a legion of demons in him. That's scary. They were seeing the glimpse of the spiritual battle. Those crazy herd of pigs. But none of these things scared the people of the Grescites. <laughs> so what scared them? The people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were scared that the man was in his right mind. They were scared that that this had happened. There are two things that stand out here as truth that are a little distressing. First, what scared the townspeople was change. Change. That's what scared the townspeople. Change. This guy had been like this for years. That was old so-and-so. That was old Dennis, who lives in the cemetery. He's crazy. He runs around naked, screams all night long, throws rocks at us when we show up. That's who that guy is. You can't get anywhere near him because he's, he's, he's just that. No, you don't do that. And so when that was different, when He had changed, that, that, that little... that was scary. Because they had tried. They had chained Him up. They had talked to Him. I'm assuming they had brought doctors in. They had done all the things that they could do. And, and He had never been helped, they were scared of the change. Jesus had changed something and they didn't understand it. And even more distressing, they had become so accustomed to evil among them, but they feared holiness when it came. When they saw What they saw here was holiness in body. And a man who had been dead, now alive because of Jesus. And when they were given a choice between the evil and Jesus, they chose evil. Please leave. <laughs> Please leave here, Jesus. You've done this great thing among us. you brought healing to this man that we could not help. Please get out of here. Because if you could do that to him, I don't know what you're going to do to me. And I'm afraid to see what's going to happen to me. This is why the call is again and again in Scripture to put away evil, expel the immoral brother, to run from wickedness. Because when you become accustomed to living with evil, you will inevitably become accustomed to living apart from God. These people loved evil. They knew evil. They understood evil. So when the living God was standing in front of them, And it changed the life that they could not help. When that happened, Jesus, just please leave. Just get out of here. Just go. Because I don't know that I want what you're going to bring. I don't know that I want what you're going to do. Because if you can do that, I don't know what you can do. I'm afraid of what you can do. In a we confessional well, now. I stand in a weird place sometimes because there are times I get around other pastors and I just don't feel holy enough. If you want to be honest, there are times that I look at them and I go, wow, wow, I'm over here going, i on a septic tank. I'm not doing the things y'all are doing. You know? That's not, you know. I don't. And there's a part of me that looks at some of the things that they do, and I go, "Oh, am I ready for that? Am I ready to be there?" Because I, I hear stories of people who have come back from who have come back from missionary trips and have seen great miracles and great things done. And I go, oh, am I ready for that? So I, I don't want to come across as too heavy-handed on the people of the Gresonese because they didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have the law. They didn't have the prophets. They didn't have these things. They had Jesus who had just shown up out of the middle of nowhere and changed this man's life. And they went, I don't know that I'm ready for that. Please leave. It's so very easy to become accustomed to living with the evil in our world that we find ourselves living apart from God. It's so very easy to start saying, Well, I will make too big of of a deal about that because it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. And so if I say that, I'm I'm just not going to do it. But then we begin to let little things in. We begin to, to let little things happen. And it reminds me of, of the little boy at the, at the dam who it springs a leak and he puts a finger in it. <laughs> and then another leak springs up and he puts another finger in it. Split and you know. You only have so many things that you can plug the holes with. Because when we start letting a little bit happen, when we start ignoring a little bit of stuff, a little bit of sin, a little bit of evil, God gets a little further away. Because guess where God won't be? In the midst of evil. Instead of seeing the hope, the future, the life that He had restored and rejoicing, they feared what Jesus might do in their lives. If He can change even Him, what might He do to me? You know, I think our nation and our world has a lot in common with these people. We've become accustomed to living with evil. And now our people are asking Jesus to leave. I'm not not trying to be political, I'm trying to be biblical. When we don't stand up for the truth of Scripture, nobody is. We can't assume somebody else is going to do it. We can't assume somebody else is going to take that stand. Somebody else is going to call it out. What somebody else is going to do it? I mean, that—that's the problem. Our nation is now to the point where we have people asking Jesus to leave. They're asking Jesus to leave everything. They don't want him in anything. I don't want him in my sporting events. I don't want him in my schools. I don't want him in my anywhere near the government. I don't want him anywhere. I want Jesus out. That's what—that's what our world is. Doing. That's what our nation is saying right now. That's where they are, you know. And honestly, here's the thing because being militant on the other side is just as bad as doing nothing. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to be the change in the world. We're called to how do we fix this? What is it supposed to do? The healed man wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus, just let me go with you. Woo! It's it my life I want to go. Let me get in the boat, Jesus. Jesus said no. Can you imagine his disappointment? In that moment, we don't know how long he had been there in the cemetery by himself, naked, with demons plaguing his mind. We don't know how long he had been there. And suddenly, in one word, in two sentences, two sentences come out of him. He had to be an agent of change in his own community. We are called to be agents of change in our community. That's what we're called to do. When God moves in our lives, we need to rejoice about it and tell people about it. Because what Jesus was telling this man was, if you go with me, they'll never know just how far you can. If you go with me, they'll never understand. Because all they saw was what was happening on the outside. All they saw was what was going on right here. They don't know about what was going on in here. They don't know about the struggle you've had in here. They don't know about all the things that have been going on in your life. You have to go back and tell them. Tell them what? You have to go back and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. You've got to go tell them. You got to share it with them. You got to make sure they know. You can't keep it quiet. The amazing thing to me about this is he's a Gentile. And Jesus says, go and tell. If you read the Gospels much, which I hope you do, when Jesus heals somebody in Israel, what does he say? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. It's not yet time. <laughs> but this guy, go and tell. <laughs> Shout it from the rooftops. Tell everybody what is going on. Go. This was so important to Jesus that this man share what he had done, that he told him to go when he was telling everybody else. Shh, don't. Go and tell. That's what we're called to do. How do we reverse this trend in our world? By being the agents of change in our community. By being salt in life. By telling people what Jesus has done for us. And we don't hide the good from the bad. We don't, we don't hide the, the bad stuff so that they think, oh, everything's great. Because everybody knows that's a lie. If Jesus, if all you ever have is good things happen, people know you're lying. Either, they, either that or you're so much holier than they are. I mean, bad things happen. What makes the bad things okay is God's working through them. Is that God will make a way. And that God's taking care of it. That's what makes the bad things okay. And we have to share that. Is it ever going to be okay that we lost two babies along the way to have a job? No. It's never going to be okay. But God has used that. And God can use that. Is it ever going to be okay that that, that I got sick and, and and things? No, it's never going to be okay. But God can use that. Bad things happen. Mm-hmm. I told you about my friend before. He's out in Virginia area. He's planted a church two years ago. And he was told he had a year to live. <laughs> he ain't dead yet. <laughs> and he's using the tragedy each and every day to talk about the goodness of God. We serve a God who can take death and make it life. There's nothing that's impossible. And people need to know that. People out there need to know that. But He can change us. That's the scary thing. People are going to be terrified of that reality. Because here's what's popular in churches today. i to say this. Um, popular in churches today, come on in, say you love Jesus, no change is ever needed. That's not the Scriptures. The Scriptures say, come on in, love Jesus. And as you love Jesus, He'll make you into who He wants you. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you've been just dealing with your own demons that you can't seem to get rid of. Now's the time to lay them at the feet of Jesus. You don't have to walk around with them. You don't have to hold on to them. You weren't weren't called to carry that burden. You weren't called to carry the heavy load of worry of regret, of sin. You don't have to carry it. You can drop it at the feet of Jesus. You can walk away free. If you've been struggling today, don't continue to struggle. Give it to Him and say, God, I want to have the freedom that the guy in the Gersonis had. I want to have that kind of freedom that when I walk from here, I know that the chains are no longer binding me physically. They're no longer binding me emotionally. They're no longer binding me spiritually. I want to be let go. Now's the time. Maybe this morning you want to start a missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you're like the people in the that and you've been hearing these stories and you're going, well, that sounds good. I'm here to tell you it's true. And if you don't know Jesus, no matter how long you've sat in church, walk down the aisle and say, I want to know Jesus. Because I guarantee you it'll be the best choice you ever make. And we will walk with you in the transformation. And maybe you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. And you have some need I haven't mentioned. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. And Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.